Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And we're in the third part of a series that we've called uh, Milk Bubbles. And we're looking at the book of Philippians. And I know, you know, immediately you think of Philippians and you think of milk. I, I, I know that's an easy connection to make. And so, um, but we're looking at this because the, the word joy or rejoice is found all throughout the book of Philippians. It's just all the way through there. You just find it all, the, all over the place. And we, so we've just looked at all four chapters, looked at chapter one, week one, chapter two last week, chapter three is this week. And we've been coming back to this concept. And, and our launching scripture is something else Paul wrote to um, the Romans. But we keep coming back to this concept that joy and peace and hope increase in our lives as we trust in God. Joy, peace, and hope increase in our lives as we trust in God. It's not that our trust factor goes up when our joy and peace and hope goes up. It's that as, as our trust factor goes up, the rest of that stuff falls in line. And so the first thing we need to think about, the first thing we need to cultivate is our faith and our trust in God. And that's when everything else begins to align. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, 13. Paul writes, says, May the God of hope, aren't we thankful that it's God of hope? There has been too long that there has been this message out there that God is some other kind of God, that he's a God of anger, he's a God of vindictiveness, that he's a getcha kind of God, he's a scary kind of God. But this is not the God we serve. This is not the God of the universe. This is not the God of our salvation. Our God is a God of hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here our God of hope wants us to be so full of hope that there's an overflow of hope. That it becomes just a hope mess. That there's just hope so much flowing out of us, there's just hope getting on everybody around us. That people have a hard time being discouraged around us. People have a hard time being sad. People have a hard time having a bleak outlook on life whenever they get around us because of the hope that is alive in us. That is what God wants us to do. So I was, I was looking at this concept, and then there's something so ordinary about a plain glass of white milk. And so it's just a... Just, an everyday plain things, kind of just normal, ordinary thing in life. And so many times life can feel that way. Life can feel normal and plain and rote and mundane. And we think, man, where's the joy? Where's, the, where's this at? But when you take that little glass of milk and you insert a straw and you begin to put some breath into that, the Greek word for spirit, so our whole spirit is pneuma. And, the, and pneuma means breath. It means, it means wind and air. And we use this in our English language with like pneumatic tools. It's pneuma. It's, it's air-driven tools that get its power from air. And, the, and so the, the word for spirit is that. It's breath. It's, it's this breath of God, the, the spirit of God. So when we see this glass of milk and this, this breath begins to be introduced into this normal, ordinary, plain thing, and all of a sudden, things begin to kind of bubble up. 
And these bubbles begin to come up, and then the bubbles begin to fill the glass, and the bubbles begin to overflow off the top of the glass and, and make a glorious, wonderful little mess right there. And, and you take, let any kid give them permission to blow milk bubbles, and they'll be laughing. They'll be giggling. It is hard to be upset and blow milk bubbles. There's just something joyful about it. So as we're looking at this in this overflow of hope, I just thought milk bubbles was a beautiful visual metaphor for Philippians. So that, there you go. So as we look at this and we look in chapter 3, in, in uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, we see as Paul talks about um, that we can have joy all the time and that it's the that situations and circumstances should not dictate our joy. That happiness is external, but joy is internal. And, and then in chapter 2, uh, we begin to see that relationships are this foundation and this place where God brings a lot of joy. And we have to be able to have the right framework about our relationships, friendships, family, all of those different things so that we can go there. And then in chapter 3, Paul writes to the Philippian church and about these safeguards, these boundaries, these things that help us to maintain our joy. Because so many times our, we begin to have a little joy and it feels like somebody's always there to burst our bubble. You get some little milk bubbles blowing up in our eye and then somebody's there to just pop our bubble. There's a co-worker that just doesn't want you to ever be happy. You, something is you visit with them and say, oh, this is going, they will find the reason that that's going to go wrong, go sour, or it shouldn't happen to begin with. And they will, they will bust your bubble. They will go through and just try to destroy your joy. And God wants us to have unpoppable joy where people can't come and burst our bubbles. People can't come and, and, and attack and to do that. And so today we're looking at unpoppable joy. And so in looking at these, these safeguards, the safeguards will maintain the flow of joy that comes from knowing God. These safeguards will do that. And Paul begins to get real practical in chapter 3 about some of these safeguards. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you Again, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Babe, it's no trouble to repeat yourself to me 22 times because I need it sometimes. It's no trouble to write the same things. He's saying, okay, what I'm about to lay out is nothing new to you. As we get into chapter 3, it's nothing that's going to blow your mind. It's no new, heavy, incredible revelation. This is some normal type of stuff. This is some white milk every morning kind of stuff. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard to you. It's a safeguard. These things that need to be repeated, these things that need to show up on a regular basis, these things that need to be constants in our life, they're a safeguard to you. I'm so thankful that TextDot does not put up a little chunk of guardrail and say, well, there you go. I hope they saw this is a bad place to go. And then over here, there's no guardrail. I'm so thankful that there's guardrail, and then as I travel along, there's guardrail, and as I travel along, there's more guardrail. 
I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful they invented the little on the side of the road. You hear them as often as I hear them. Don't act like you don't know. And so, but isn't it nice that it's not one of those? You don't go, duh. And there's no more. We need the da 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 We need a little bit of repetition. We need these things in our lives. And they're safeguards there's to make sure we stay away from the destructive stuff out on the periphery. But we've got to recognize the safeguards. We've got to, we got to, to see them. And otherwise, there's, there's, no, there's no safety in it. This past Monday, uh, we were taking Zach Spector, who was here with us from Colorado, and he preached to our young adults. We had a YA Nights event um, previous Friday, and he did a fantastic job. And, and we were re- returning him to catch his flight back to Colorado and taking him there to, to Dallas, to the airport. And, of course, Dallas um, has a little more traffic and some, some stuff on their roads we don't have. One of those things is the HOV lane. And so uh, we need one of those in San Angelo so we can get where we're going. And, um, but uh, they have the HOV lane, and sometimes they go this way, and sometimes they go that way. And so they have these big gates things that, that move and kind of close it off. And there will be this series of them, and they're pointing to stay over here. The lane is closed. Don't enter over here. And so this time of the day, as we were driving, um, the HOV lane was closed. And it was arrows were pointing to stay over here to the side and zooming down I-30 and and going past the Six Flags area right there in Arlington. And and so we're uh, going along. I'm driving. Cutie's riding shotgun, taking care of business. And Keenan's in the back seat. Our oldest son, who was up here playing guitar a second ago, um, was in the back seat. The back seat. Not the driver's seat. (laughs) The back seat. And his friend Zach was in the other back seat, and Zach was texting his wife or doing whatever. And, and so we're coming along, and sure enough, here's one of those HOV things that has the little closed little arm sticking out. And all of a sudden, I'm driving along. We're having a good visit about some, something wonderful, I'm sure, and, and going along. And all of a sudden, Keenan goes, move over. <laughs> and I'm driving, and I'm looking. I'm trying to see what I'm missing and I'm scanning and looking for some sort of thing. And then he's, move over. <laughs> and then his little excitedness begins to invade my wife. And she grabs the seat rest and she grabs the little handle. And she's sitting there and she's just looking and she's freaked out. So she's freaked out. Keenan's in the back screaming at me. And Zach's just texting <laughs> And then it just, it just gets accelerated. And he's like, move over, move over. And I'm like, I cannot find the problem. I don't know if there's an asteroid coming. I'm not looking high enough. Is this the apocalypse? We can't avoid this, kid. I, I, I can't find the problem. I can't see it. And he's just, move, move. And sit there and he just is in a full-on, full-drive I am thankful he was in the back seat because if he'd have been in the front, he would have grabbed the wheel. And I'd have punched him. And it'd have been really bad. But he's in the back seat. If his arms were a little longer, he would have driven for me. He would, 
come over my neck. And, and so it's, I was just driving along, and I'm in my lane. But from where he was sitting, he could not see that the lane just kept going. The one I was in was fine. All he saw were the barricades. And he was convinced we were going through the barricades. He was braced. He was ready to go. And so he's like, I would have loved somebody to have been in another car and video it. Because then here's this guy just, for no reason. And the guy on the back scene of the scene is texting. So one guy's about to die and the other guy's blissful. But if we'd had a wreck, he'd have snapped both femurs. I mean, he was locked up. It was just, he, 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 we, we've learned from the drunks. You just need to go limp and you do better. He did not go limp. It was, <laughs> sorry about that. My wife just said, you did not just say that. Edit this for the stream. <laughs> Anyways, but when you can't, you don't see the safeguards. They don't, they don't provide any peace. They don't provide any joy. They're there for you. But if you don't see the white lines on the road that are fine, that, that everything's cool, all of a sudden you focus on the problem. You focus on the destruction. And we have a God who's made a way where there appears to be no way. And we can begin to focus on the wrong thing and lose peace when there's no reason to lose peace. We begin to lose hope when there's no reason to lose hope. We begin to freak out when there is no reason to freak out. Jesus told his disciples multiple times, where is your faith? Where is your faith? But they, the lost folk, they looked at the wrong thing. So as we look at these guardrails, we need to recognize we got to see them so that we can let, have the peace that comes from them. And the first one he mentions in, in Philippians chapter 2 is, uh, is watch out for people that point us away from Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says, watch out for those dogs. Paul wasn't one for using aggressive language. But here... He calls this group of people, he calls them dogs. This is in our scriptures. But who these were, these were these super religious people who tried to connect our relationship with God into some sort of religious practice instead of what God has done in making it a relationship through Christ. It says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And we'll see in just a minute, he's referring to the practice, the Jewish practice of circumcision. Because they're the mutilators of the flesh. They think you have to, to follow all of these little laws exactly just right. And they drive you away from focusing on the love and the grace of Jesus. And they focus you on some sort of religious rules and obligations. And they carry your attention away from the Savior and back to some sort of religious practice. That is not what this is about. This is not about religious practice. I hope you didn't show up today at church to check off a religious practice box. I hope you showed up today because this is a place, it's a family gathering, and it's about relationship. It's about relationship with a heavenly father who loves you, and you want to come and connect, and connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and people who are interested in the things of God. I hope that it was relational, because that is what this is supposed to be. 
Paul writes and says about the Galatians, he says, Galatians chapter 5 verse 7, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in and kept you from obeying the truth? He called them dogs, and so many times those, those yapping dogs will, will distract us. Last night, Cutie and I and the little girls went on a walk in our neighborhood, and as we're, we're walking around, we walked past this house, and it's got a little wrought iron fence, and this labradoodle comes running out at us, and it's confusing because it's got this mean, aggressive bark, but it's a fluff ball, and you're like, do I run? Do I hug you? I, I, I don't, what do I do here? It's confusing. And so this labradoodle comes, and the little girls, all they wanted to do was run. I mean, they're like, but it's on the other side of this, of this right iron fence. But we see it. It sees us, and we're safe. There's the guardrail there. It's, it's good. It's protecting us. And as we're walking, as this dog is yapping at us, all we can do is stare at this dog. And it's just yapping, and we're just walking along, and the little girls are holding our hands, and we're holding them tight. And there's a stuffed animal barking at us. And that's all we can do is look at it. And, it's, and that's what happens. They will pull our attention. He calls them these dogs because they come and begin to pull our attention. We're trying to go somewhere. We're trying to move forward. But they're distracting us from where we're headed. They're getting us off course. So in the next one, that, though, these people that will pull us away from Jesus, it always ties back into the next thing he says, which is watch out for legalism. And legalism is kind of enticing to us because we want the win. We like a win. And legalism gives us these little spiritual religious wins that if I do this activity, if I don't do that, if I check this box, if I pray this much, I get the win, I get the win, I get the win. Man, yesterday when Texas Tech locked it up and won, everybody got the guns up, and uh, go Red Raiders. And so, but man, my Facebook feed turned black and red. Whoop. Yeah, man, just everything black and red, black and red, all the way through there. Because everybody loves to own the win and participate in the win and celebrate the win. There's nothing wrong with that, but we gravitate toward that. But we begin to put that in our spiritual practice. That somehow we, then all of a sudden, we are at attracted to legalism because legalism says if you do this, then you get yourself a little closer to heaven. You show up to church and you're a little closer to heaven. You gave in the offering, oop, win, a little closer to heaven. I read my Bible a little bit today, oop, win, closer to heaven. Man, and all of a sudden begin to to feel self-righteous when our righteousness comes from God and God alone. And that's what legalism does. And it begins to, to, to pull all of our attention. Instead of reading the scriptures like a love note from a God who loves me, I begin to just make it a religious win. That is not what a relationship is built on. And it will come in and begin to do that. Philippians 3.3 3 says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. I had no idea what I was saying at the time. I had no theological understanding at the time. But my senior year before, the summer before my senior year, I went to camp, uh, church camp in Colorado, and man, and God was just 
drawing me in. The Holy Spirit was just pulling at me, and I had, on my own accord, come up with some sort of idea about what it meant to say yes to Jesus, and I had to do all of this and not do all of that, and I had no confidence in Brandon Clark, had no confidence. So it was like God was asking me to do something that was impossible for me. That the Holy Spirit was drawing me in, and all I saw was, how was I going to walk this out? Yes, I felt the love and grace of God in that moment, but my analytical mind took over, and I was like, I I can't do this. I can't be that little Christian. I can't do that. I'm not ready to do it. I don't want to do it. But I can't do it. Even if I wanted to, I can't do it. I had no confidence in this, and I end up out there removing myself from the from the meeting I'm out on the baseball field there at this university in Colorado I'm screaming and cussing at God telling him to leave me alone and and breaking down crying and finally have my moment when I have my moment with God I'm like fine God sure but this is all you get I won't last two weeks I'm not going to be able to do all the little stuff I can't do it and little did I know Little did I know that God wanted me to not have any confidence in my flesh. He wanted me to just say yes to him. And there was something that was driven down deep in my heart that maybe on the outside you looked at Brandon Clark six months later, and if you'd have been a real judgy, you'd have said that camp moment was worthless. But it was not worthless. I know it wasn't worthless because there was something that was done in my heart that I said yes to God, and I knew that he loved me no matter what. My, my, My faith was not, my confidence was not, in my own flesh. It wasn't in my ability to do this right. My confidence was in a God who would love me even when I didn't do it right. My confidence was a God who would be there to pick me up when I fell and I was going to fall. And that was where my confidence was. And that, folks, that is what this relationship with God is about. It's about having our confidence in Him, not in us. Not in us. That's why we can say yes to anything He asks of us. Because our confidence isn't in him, isn't in us, it's in him. He said, God, you got the wrong person. Uh, no, he knows who he's talking to. He don't have any confidence in your flesh either, don't worry. <laughs> but he has confidence in his power being made perfect through your weakness. He has confidence in that. If you'll just let him have access to fully you, man, there is nothing that God can do. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this because you look at the Levitical law in, in, in Leviticus, and there was so much about what they could eat and what they could consume and all these different things. And Paul says it's not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Next thing he encourages in starting in chapter 4 is to watch out for the substitute, that something else that would come in and begin to, to, to be something different than what it was supposed to be about. Philippians 3, 4 says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got the right pedigree. I've got the right family. All the right stuff was done with my family. Check, 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 check. Done. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. So you're going to get all wound up about the law? I was a Pharisee. I was one who took the law the most serious. You couldn't be with a more hardcore, hard-rolling, law-focused group of people 
than the Pharisees. They were the hardcore people about it. It says, as for zeal, just, just having energy and pouring energy into to my religion, I persecuted the church. It wasn't just enough that I was, I was wound up about making sure the law was done on my end. I want to make sure the law was done on everybody else's end. I persecuted the church. They, I felt like they were hijacking it and carrying things, carrying this, this, the scriptures into an unhealthy place. And I persecuted them. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Faultless. And he saw all of that as a substitute, as a worthless substitute for a real relationship with God. I think sometimes you and I, we would rather God give us a couple of things to do and let's just do those things and to actually have a relationship with him. Sometimes I think we would just rather do some stuff for him than be in relationship with him. Well, he's called us into relationship. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with him. This stuff looks godly. It looks godly, but it's not. It removes the power of the living God and the grace that changes everything. Now, Paul... Paul's a good coach. He doesn't say just watch out for these things and lay out the guardrails. He gives us something to look at. Nobody goes on a journey and just stares at the guardrails or the lions all the time. No, you're going somewhere. You're heading somewhere. So we have to stay focused on the things that draw us closer to Jesus. And the first one is keep on knowing. Celebration Church, we're about knowing God better and trusting him more. We all should be continually growing in knowing him. Philippians 3.8 says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like all that stuff I listed, it's a, it's a loss. Except for I want to know Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I, cons- I consider it trash that I may gain Christ. He goes on to say in verse 10 that I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He said, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. I just want to grow in that. I just want to grow in that. That is where we keep this moving forward. The next one is don't stop growing. Philippians 3 verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained all this. Or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Since he's already took, taken hold of me, I want to take my Christ fully back. I'm fully his, and I want him to be fully mine. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. Paul's focus was heavenward. Was heavenward. That was his direction. Was heavenward. Whichever direction he was moving. It was always heavenward. It was always that direction. Remember Jesus told us to pray. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. 
That is it. We should always be moving heavenward. Always. Always. In heaven, we're going to have full relationship with God. Full relationship with God. So, trying to keep a daily relationship with God here, that's moving heavenward. Whenever I'm having a conversation with somebody, how is that person going to be treated in the presence of God in heaven? They're going to be treated with love and dignity and respect and patience and kind of all of these different things. So when I begin to talk to somebody, I begin to interact with somebody, I want to make sure that I'm bringing heaven to that situation. I'm treating them with love and dignity and, and, and respect, and, and I'm, I'm bringing heaven their direction. I begin to see somebody in need or a place of lack. I don't turn the blind eye there. In heaven, there's no lack. In heaven, there's, no, there's none of that. So I want to make sure if it's within my power, I'm moving heavenward. I'm meeting the need. I'm filling the need. I'm doing what I can to push heaven forward on every front. Paul moved heavenward. We want to make sure. It should be a good response for us when people say, how are things going? For us to genuinely say heavenward. For us to say heavenward. They're going heavenward. That doesn't mean that things are perfect. We're just, that is the direction. Direction That's where we're moving, is heavenward. So with that, then you got to know where you're going. Philippians 3, 19 says, their, <clears throat> their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, their mind is on earthly things. Earthly things. So many times the enemy doesn't necessarily want to have us just wrapped up in destructive things, things that are inappropriate or shameful. Yes, those can be bondage and when God wants to set us free from that. But I think most of us, our problem isn't that. Our problem is that things are just earthly. They're just earthly. And when we're earthly minded, guess what? Then what we end up with is on earth as it is on earth. But when we're heavenly minded, when we're heavenly minded, when we're moving heaven, when we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven, then all of a sudden we now begin to move heavenward in everything that we do and we want to see that pushed forward. So many times we can get, we can forget where our real citizenship is. Folks, I'm a Texan and I'm, I love being a Texan. But I don't ever want that to get out front of me being a, a, a citizen of heaven, of me being a Christian. I'm an American, and I have no problems being an American. But I think sometimes we can get more wrapped up in, in what's happening in America. And we can have our view of what America should be. And we can get wrapped up in the news and get angry about this and upset about that. Instead of and saying, man, this isn't the America that we should have. Instead of seeing things that don't represent heaven and our heart breaking going, you know what? I see this on earth and that's not the way it is in heaven. And we ought to do something about this. We ought to be moving heavenward. So many times I think our patriotism can be more tied to our country than it is where we're going to be in eternity. Folks, we've, there's nothing wrong with it. Paul was a proud Roman citizen and he used his Roman citizenship. But guess what? Eventually Rome put him in prison. He writes this from a Roman prison, and he was eventually given a Roman execution. And he understood that his citizenship was in heaven. 1 Peter 1.3 says, He has, been give, has given us new birth into a living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Folks, our bottom line, our bottom line is knowing and growing will keep the joy flowing. It'll keep the joy flowing. That is what this is about. So many times we get so afraid of being empty, of feeling empty. We begin to get focused on these earthly things and think that that's going to fill it and that's going to fix it. When, the, when we are built for heaven, there's nothing on earth that can fulfill you. You were built for the presence of God. You were wired for the presence of God. And there is nothing that is solely on earth that can satisfy you or fill you. Which is why we have to invite the Holy Spirit into every part of our lives. Because, folks, we are never, ever, ever empty when we're overflowing. God wants to bring an overflow into our lives. And it comes only from living a life knowing him and trusting him. That's what this is about. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.